The Association of Malaysian Economics Undergraduates, AMEU, is a student-run, not-for-profit organization aimed at raising social and economic awareness among youth while providing a healthy platform for constructive discourse on economics-related issues. AMEU has a presence in both the UK and Malaysia and is run by a team of dedicated students. This is e-conversation where we uncover interesting issues and have conversations with industry experts. We would like to thank Deloitte, our platinum sponsor, Top Glove and Maxis, our gold sponsor, and Silver Lake, our silver sponsor for their generous support in our initiatives and helping us to fulfill AMEU's core tenets in contributing to the student community. Hi everyone, I'm Rije or RJ and welcome to eConversation by AMEU. Today we are looking briefly into ESG. ESG is an acronym for Environmental, Social and Governance. It is an evaluation of a firm's collective consciousness for social and environmental factors. In recent years, sustainability issues have been one of the hottest topics and is slowly becoming a concern and almost a criteria for every innovation, projects, companies and countries. Today, we're very um, privileged and honoured to have with us here Mr. Hafiz Norden from PwC to briefly dissect ESG with us. He specialises in strategy, finance and sustainability. So welcome Mr. Hafiz. Why don't you say hi to our audience and introduce yourself? Hi, hi everyone. Um, happy to be part of this uh, podcast series. So I'm Hafiz Nordin. I am working as a management consultant with PwC, Southeast Asia Consulting. And yes, uh, like um, RJ specified earlier, I specialize in um, finance transformation and also sustainability strategy. Great, nice. Yeah, so um, maybe you can tell us a bit more, like as a consultant, so what does your typical day look like? A typical day for a consultant is um, basically we are very much project driven. So we don't really sit with one particular task or uh, sector or area. So let's say um, this month I'm looking into public health care work then it's actually public healthcare. Uh, but there can be other times that we look into automotive industry, oil and gas sector. So the, the sector changes, uh, but the focus areas or our skills remain the same more or less. Um, but I think the nature of consulting is um, you're always meddling with gray areas. Lah. You're actually, you're actually a, a constant problem solver. So client will go to you. Client can be public sector or private sector. Come with a with a scenario or a challenge. Okay, we want to implement this policy or we want to implement this strategy. How do we go about it? Then yeah, so so we kind of need to do research, and we also uh, do a lot of like stakeholder engagement sessions. Uh, basically, indicating ideas, discussing with different sets of people. Yep. Wow, I see, yeah. So being like a problem solver, so there must be, like from what you say just now, there are so many like different areas that you look into and things like that. Um, do you mind sharing with us like what are some of the interesting projects, problems that you experienced like throughout your career or maybe just a recent one and it can be anything. Um, recent one, I'm actually 
looking into Islamic social finance. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, terms like uh, terms like uh, zakat, wakaf, or um, sadaqah. But Islamic finance and Islamic social finance are quite a an area that has been there in in, in has been implemented in Malaysia for a long time. But right now, there's more and more traction in terms of how do we incorporate uh, Islamic social finance into uh, fintech or other you know um, electronic platform or digital banking. Uh, to so I think the idea is to have more a wider coverage. So that that's one of the project that I'm doing um, currently. Um, but I think if you ask me, my career trajectory, an interesting one would be I I was actually sent in. I was actually based in uh, Saudi Arabia, wow. Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, in 2019, uh, to do a financial transformation for the Ministry of Health of Saudi Arabia. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, being a Malaysian with almost zero knowledge about the the local uh, culture and and context, so we, I mean, I I, um, it was a bit of an eye opener for me when I when I arrived there, but yeah, I think that was very very interesting and and you know challenging as well, but it uh, yeah it was it was a you know I would say like a career tipping point kind of thing yeah, that, that's very nice. Your career brought you everywhere around the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, going into the topic today, right? So firstly, how can sustainability and profit go hand in hand in businesses? Right. So sustainability and profit, actually, uh, this is a question that I always get also uh, in webinars and, and questions from the, the you know, general audience or public. So sustainability and profit, profitability um, can go hand in hand because if you look at the main components of uh, sustainability nowadays, we use ESG, environment, yeah. social, and governance. Yeah, so um, actually these three elements are very much important to ensure companies to do well, to, to you know, have good and, and high uh, performance. Which can which would also result to uh, a good bottom line, which is your profitability. Uh, but if I can share a, a, an interesting view that I, I think somebody shared with me a couple of years back, um, it was in one of the sustainability trainings that I've attended. Companies in companies established in nineteen twenties, uh, usually. You know, back back then during the time when when somebody wants to set up a company, the first thing that they have to establish is your reason of existence, or your reason of establishment. You know, in the in French we have like raison d'être or a reason of existence. Why do you why do you establish this company? That, <clears throat> but as of today, we see more and more companies showcase their their vision and mission. But last time is what is your reason of establishment? Is it like contributing to society? Is it to fulfill a need of, a, of an economic need for a country? Or, you know, you basically want to do trade or anything, yeah. But back then, the reason of establishment is very, very uh, apparent and <clears throat> very critical that they, they pay a lot of attention to that. You kind of need to uh, showcase your reason of establishment outside in your 
your you know your company signboard that kind of thing mm. yeah so zoom you know uh, fast forward until today i think the the sentiment or the message remains the same sustainability and profit should go hand in hand because you shouldn't you know aim for profit but do unsustainable uh, activities if you were to do that if you were to do to have that kind of philosophy then your company wouldn't be able to last a long time you can you can definitely do profit lah but you know maybe you can last only a decade so the long term um, impact is not really there i see yeah then do you think that this is the reason why maybe like just maybe big corporate corporations and corporates have like an advantage over smes in implementing any climate related business policies yeah so uh, yes and no I, i i wouldn't say that big corporations have uh, added advantage over smes yes uh, they can definitely result into a bigger scale of impact whenever let's say a government linked company or corporation or glc in malaysia like simdabi or even like petronas petronas might not be uh, yeah petronas is uh, you know in the form of glc also but when they uh, they they have prof- they, they pursue profit uh, definitely but when they roll out a, a plan they roll out a plan for their local office nationwide and their regional base and also your their other international offices so the magnitude or impact of their rollout plans for sustainability is massive mm. uh but would it be in terms of scale if you compare with SMEs they are bigger but i think SMEs play a very critical role also to adopt and implement sustainability because if you imagine you are a business owner of a small and medium enterprise right you are very nimble and you are very agile to do any any sort of changes or improvement if a customer demands that hey can you consider uh, changing your product into a bit like uh, recyclable material you can do so in like in a few hours and you can make sure that the change is, is happening uh, there and then but if like you know companies like petronas if a customer or investor asks for something it cannot happen you know um yeah within a nick of a very short of period of time it has to go through policy and then um strategy revision and all that so i think it uh, both have pros and cons lah, but both are very critical to play uh, or to champion the the ESG or sustainability roles right right and so you know we've heard so much about how we need both of them to uh, work together uh, how about the government you know what role has the government played in this or like what are some of the um, more notable poli- policies that malaysia have been implementing to make sure this happen right so uh, i am not the best person to to answer about uh, you know the policy because i'm not a policy maker lah but i think from what i can share is malaysia has a lot of uh, policies implemented uh, by by ministers and also uh, policy advisors and i think one one very uh, obvious one is uh, the malaysian green tech green technology and climate change uh, center mgtc uh, which was formerly known as green tech green tech malaysia So I I was working with uh, a renewable energy company back then a few years 
So the green tech is, is you know, one of the core driver for all things that is related to, you know, electric vehicles, uh, green policies, green investments. So um, one of the things that green tech has been, um, <clears throat> has, has uh, issued is the low carbon footprint blueprint, which is also endorsed and supported by the Ministry of um, Natural Resources and uh, Environment uh, or CASA, Kementerian Alam Sekitar and AI, sorry, Water and, and um, Natural Resources. Uh, basically, they talk about, uh, you know, gas or greenhouse gas emissions, uh, the land transport sector, uh, which is our, you know, day-to-day -day vehicles or automotive industry, uh, the connectivity between one city to another. Uh, so I think this low carbon footprint blueprint that has been uh, issued or published by by Green Tech is a very uh, good step up or good progress from the Malaysian, you know, policy uh, point of view. Um, I think there are definitely more in terms of energy sector the um, uh, an electricity market because that's how uh, you know solar and also uh, other form of green technology is is being spearheaded lah. Uh, but again you know I, I I'm not a policy person per se I'm more of an implementer and um, you know implementing strategy to into action so I'm sure there are there have been a lot of uh, traction lah in this space yeah yeah it's quite exciting yeah. Then, like you say, I'm pretty sure, like you know, this is just only one of the policies that you are uncovering for us. Do you see a growing appetite for climate change initiatives in the Malaysian business world, and is that enough and encouraging or lagging behind like our other countries, especially in the ASEAN region? For local context, definitely, I'm, I'm happy and actually, uh, glad. To, to see a lot of progress being uh, happening left, right and center for, you know, uh, sustainability and, you know, ESG adoption. So public sector wise, you see more and more policies uh, being um, pushed forward to, to implement uh, sustainable initiatives, Part, even in private sector. So that's public sector. Even in private sector, you see financial institutions like banks, uh, you know, borrowers and, and loan providers are more and more being very critical in terms of the types of loan and long-term borrowings they are issuing. Yeah, so to, as a, you know, creditor, they are being very um, prudent and, and critical about the types of uh, bonds or debt instrument that they issue to, to people in the industry. If you are in the business that, cause harm to the environment, cause harm to social aspect, cause harm to, uh, you know, poor poor corporate governance, your credit rating will also be impacted. Mm. Yeah, go low, yeah. So, uh, that is very, you know, in Malaysian context, I'm, I'm very much happy to see all this progress. But if you put Malaysia next to Singapore or next to other uh, European countries, I'm not saying that you can actually compare Apple to Apple. I think where we are right now is quite okay uh, compared to the last 10 years. But ob obviously, Singapore uh, and you, you, you know, put, aside, put beside Korea, South Korea, mm. uh, Japan, their adoption of sustainability is so holistic. 
it's not only you know um, ranging from public sector to private sector. It's about building community. It's about building a city. It there's like an architect of sustainability in different sectors, and they go you know work hand in hand. So I think what I can summarize is similarly in Malaysia, you know, it's not just a one sector do or drive it. You know, maybe Petronas New Energy or whoever, um, or we're waiting for government to do it right. Actually, no, you know, all of us has a role, whether you are a student, you're a company, everyone actually has a role and the power to push uh, the sustainability message. And you can actually, you know, do actions or take actions towards it. That's so nicely put. Yeah, we're all architects of sustainability. Um, Right. So since we're talking about uh, in this direction of, you know, environmental already, so I think it's only... um, reasonable if we dive into the automobile industry, which has experienced a massive green change. Um, So companies such as Mercedes is expected to have 10 of such um, electric vehicle like EV models by 2022. Volkswagen Group would deliver more than 80 models by 2025. And the list just goes on and on because it's like a probably a trend in the automobile industry. So um, is this is there a pressure? for our Malaysian cars, you know, Proton, Produa? There is definitely a pressure. Um, because I'm not sure if you have read Hyundai or Japanese car maker or Japanese automotive uh, players have shifted their focus from car production or manufacturing global hub or, or regional hubs in, in uh, Thailand and Indonesia, they are moving, they are packing their bags and moving to Singapore. So why Singapore? It's because they want to focus on a very uh, strategically designed electric vehicle. And this includes, you know, the the centers for R&D is there, uh, there are, you know, test, test areas and all that. If I'm not mistaken, Hyundai and another our brand um, has has moved there. Uh, sorry, Kiani is Korean. Yeah. So I think the message here is the the shift to electric vehicle is definitely a strong push. Um, but is our country uh, allowing for that to happen? Um, typically, if we were to if we were to view it from a macroeconomic point of view, most countries which are heavily reliant on fossil fuel might not grow that way yet, right? But of course, you can see more and more oil and gas players like Petronas has already, you know, transitioned to uh, new energy and and all these green investments. So I think definitely there are pressure from uh, our regional neighbor, you know, neighborhood countries, especially Singapore. And because this, this, like I said, these global car makers, they predict that this is the future of cars. Cars are not um, you know, tied to long-term loans. That's one. So a bit you know, mobile and flexible um, financing schemes. Secondly, electric vehicles, very low emission um, and very efficient you know, engine and uh, combustion. So I think these two things are, are being pushed by these leading car makers. Then this must definitely be a challenge to our government, right? Because of the EV adoption. 
or is Malaysia still uh, ignoring this problem, like just not seeing the incoming problem in the far future? We are definitely uh, progressing and I think that's why um, Green Tech is, <clears throat> has launched the low carbon footprint uh, blueprint uh, among many other policies that has been pushed. Lah. Definitely the realization and and um, and you know the need to to go towards this way is definitely there from Malaysian government point of view. But of course, I'm not speaking on behalf of the Malaysian government, right? Yeah, yeah. So, as as an observer, right, in in the industry, I think there is uh, definitely uh, they have they have gotten the wake up call a few years ago, lah. I think even during the times of Yobi Yin, uh, the, minister, the previous minister, she has she has launched you know um, this this vision of having uh, a renewable energy mix of at least twenty five percent by twenty thirty. So that is a very ambitious goal. Um, can we achieve it? I think we can definitely achieve it if we are committed towards that path. But like I said, it requires. Um, buy in from all sectors, not just you know a few, not just car makers. Yeah. Going a bit into the micro, okay. So, what are the requirements or targets needed for Proton and Perodua to reach the level of like Volkswagen, Hyundai, and new players like Tesla? Wow, new players like Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um. Well, well, like our national car producers or car makers like Proton, Perodua, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have looked into uh, producing or manufacturing an, an electric vehicle, especially Proton with the, I mean, not so recent collaboration with Geely, right? Mm. But the, yeah, I think definitely there is, there is something is brewing uh, in our industry, local industry. And of course, you can see that our our overall demand for cars are still very high in Malaysia. Malaysians still love, you know, buy to buy cars. Yes. There's there's great demand. Um, supply are also sometimes you know can't keep up with our demand. So that is not necessarily a good thing, lah. Right? Because to move towards sustainability or, or low carbon footprint um, vision, you need to better that you know ideally you should be you should have lower uh, car production lah. but I think coming back to your question on uh, Petronas and Proton uh, being the likes of you know being at par with Tesla and all that mm. one thing that they can focus on is R&D definitely R&D. so having you know leading um, engineers and, and also experts in renewable energy and, and electric vehicle so I've also heard one of the like one podcast or interview uh, by if I'm not mistaken, Produa or Proton CEO, which they mentioned that um, engineers who have been involved in you know fossil fuel engine or types right uh, are not the same with electric vehicle uh, prototypes or, or or you know mechanism. So you need to employ a completely new person or different um, angle of engineering to be able to create something that is very efficient and you know green that adheres to um, these electric vehicle standards how tesla is doing it is they they started with a very ambitious goal of uh, you know be able to create a, a car that is 
that can last on, on battery or even, you know, not, not reliant on uh, fossil fuel. Yeah, and they, are, they started with producing a sport car and then they go down, they move backwards to how can we create a day-to-day -day or utility vehicle that, that uses, uh, that has the same speed like a normal car, uses very low um, fossil fuel or, uh, or hydrocarbon uh, consumption. So I think R&D and, and definitely bringing more experts into the team um, and, and I think we should also push it like uh, showcase, you know, if you have completed a prototype, join, um, you know, European car makers to, to really see and understand what is their logic behind all this. Yeah, and to be honest, it's not only Proton and Prodo are having this problem. Even Mercedes and other like, you know, Volvo, okay, I'll say Volvo is quite good in this, but other car makers like um, Toyota or Mitsubishi are also in a way struggling with this because they are still in a, like I said, hydrocarbon uh, fuel mm. car market. Lah. So, but definitely they are transitioning and widening their, their scope of um, car productions. Yeah, I mean, a part of sustainability is also about um, evolving and transitioning, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think we can, I'm, I'm very interested to move on to, you know, the the project that you're working on right now, which is the fintech innovation slash Islamic social finance. Yeah, yeah. so I think I personally, I'm not very familiar, you know. So do you want to start with just maybe explaining uh, the difference between Islamic finance and just conventional finance? Yeah, so um, Islamic finance is, mm. is not a new thing, actually. It has been there um, and it's actually a, a holistic terminology um, of the way you do things, the way you, you do commerce, the way you do trading, um, and the way you provide financing to, to businesses. It's been there since, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, but right now, how it's being um, molded into a contemporary uh, platform is because we are so used with our digital bank or, you know, our banking industry to make it a bit more relatable. They are using bank terminologies, but using the Islamic um, concept. Yeah. Uh, so that is the main difference with, with a conventional, um, you know, finance, I would say. So Malaysia having one of the, I'm pretty sure, yeah, one of the most developed contemporary Islamic financing in the world today. Uh, how far have we gotten into fintech advancement in Islamic finance? Fintech advancement in Islamic finance, I would say we are one of the, the top three leaders. Lah. Wow. Uh, but if we, if we, before we go there, if we look at Islamic finance asset under management or AUM globally, uh, Malaysia used to be number one. Uh, but I think number, number one right now is Iran. Uh, followed by Malaysia, and then number three is Saudi Arabia. And what are the components of Islamic finance is, you know, their suku, which is a form of debt instrument or a bond. Um, there is many other types, like there's wakaf, there's sadaka, and yeah. So I'm currently looking into um, sadaka, uh, sadaka, wakaf, and zakat. Yeah, so these are the three Islamic social finance. And I know that you didn't ask this, 
uh, directly, but I think just to share a bit, Islamic social finance and Islamic finance are two different things because Islamic social finance is basically how do you finance, um, basically doing finance, but that has, it has a social impact or social contribution to it. So it's not made to make profit per se. There's also an, uh, a philanthropic element in, in it. Just now you mentioned, what are the, wait, the top three countries like Malaysia, uh, Iran, Iran and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah. um, how about uh, Indonesia? You know, Indonesia having the probably the most Muslim population in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. Um, is Malaysia considering any collaborative effort, you know, in preparing this fintech, I mean, yeah, advancing this fintech, social finance? Uh, yeah, we have a lot of um, collaboration already with uh, Islamic fintech sphere, uh, particularly for Indonesia and Malaysia. But um, I think one, one, one company that you can definitely um, have a look at is called Etis, E-T-H-I-S. They, uh, I would, you know, I think from our, from my research in this is, they are one of the pioneers of um, Islamic finance or Islamic fintech platform. So what they do is they, they started off as a crowdfunding platform where you can donate and contribute to a specific project. Let's say I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm a donor or I'm an investor in Malaysia. There's a project to build a school in Indonesia. Yeah. So then what I do is basically I'm interested to, to contribute. I just go to uh, at this platform and then transfer my money and you can see how much uh, funds has been collected and what happens to the money. Uh, but this is using um, Islamic finance terms like sadaqah, which is donation. Wakaf is donation, but has its assets backed uh, donations. So that means it can only go to either an asset like a, like a school or building or land, but anything, but it can be used by the general public regardless of race and religion. Yeah. Oh, so sorry. Um, yeah. What's the difference between sadaka and wakaf again? Yeah. So sadaka is a donation. Okay. So let's say I give you ten ringgit, right? All right. So that is a sadaka. Um. I mean, yeah. And and you benefit from that. You right. you need um. There's definitely um. The the receiving end should be someone who is in need and typically from low income community, something like that, lah. Okay. Uh, but wakaf, wakaf means, wakaf has two main elements that you have to be aware of. One is permanence or permanent. Second is perpetuity. So this is a bit like, wow, suddenly why, why, do, we, why do we look at this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so uh, both are actually donation. So yeah. uh, sadaqah is a very straightforward, nah, I give you 10 ringgit. Okay. But wakaf is... I, I'm giving you something, but in the form of asset. And this asset can is permanent and is also perpetual. What is permanent and perpetual? So permanent means it's permanent. So it, can, it, it is a, either um, very fixed, not liquid like cash. It's not easily liquid, uh, can be uh, liquidified or liquidated. Secondly, perpetual is it can last from generation to generation. Yeah, so 
typically in in a Malaysian context, uh, any um, any normal Muslims would, I'm speaking this like you know some some of my experience ah family lah right, mm. um my uncle or, or anyone who who is like old already, <laughs> before they die, they if they have like buildings or land, what they do is they will walk off their assets. So, like I said earlier, when they do that, the let's say um, my uncle has a as a land to walk up. Say I'm gonna walk up this land, which is I'm gonna donate this land, but this land can be donated to anyone who wants to use it for any for an indefinite period of time. So and he will not be the owner anymore, and the owner will actually be God. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. So, so no one will actually own the land anymore, right? So, yeah. um, so let's say after that, uh, there's somebody wants to build a school, so you can build a school on the land, and maybe that school lasts for ten years, and then pass on to another uh somebody. Yeah. So the the beauty of wakaf is, it doesn't look the beneficiary, is not restricted to race, religion, uh, and whatever like gender or mm. anyone can use it. But that's that's the stigma that. People still don't understand. People thought that it's like zakat, where zakat is also a donation, but um, it's more more you know towards the eight categories of asnaf, and people typically think that it has to be Muslims. Yeah, and maybe I just pause here because um, I must share with you that for Malaysia, there's a lot of like localized contacts. If you go in. To Turkey, to Middle Eastern countries, actually, a lot of people do this this wakaf sedekah zakat. Um, very you know very um, vast or or you know on a daily basis. But in Malaysia, because we have a centralized authoritative bodies looking after this, mm. so it's a bit of like um, there's some restrictions to that lah. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, so in Indonesia. It's actually done freely and widely uh, available. So, so that's why Wakaf fintech uh, on paper. I mean, in you can see uh, the big banks. You know, the big players in Malaysia are doing it, and the asset under management is is very high. But for Indonesia, actually, they have been doing it for a long time already, even earlier than us. It's just that it's not being done by the big players. So. I think um, no one is really documenting the the traction of all wow. these all the yeah wakaf initiatives lah. I think that's one of the problems lah. Yeah, but now that you you know break things down, I think I do see the beauty of wakaf. It's really something that is enhancing the sustainability, not just in the environmental that we usually care about, but it's more of like the whole social aspect of a community. Then okay, bringing the Focus back into Malaysia. How has this improved our financial inclusion? Um, financial inclusion. That's mm. interesting. <laughs> so one of the one of the project that I'm working on is actually building a wakaf investment product. Um, that is endorsed by Securities Commission Malaysia. Right. So basically, to fundraise, uh, to collect money by from investors, it can be anyone, um, but usually high net worth individuals. So they pump in money, and then um, this money that is collected will be then passed to a fund manager, 
and then will be uh, distributed to beneficiaries where uh, where sorry the beneficiaries has to be covid 19 related or flood victims yeah so let me rewind again uh, uh, basically let's say i'm an investor high net worth investor uh, my you know annual income is like exceed 400000 per year so i invest 10000 ringgit into this and then basically the fund manager will will invest my money and everyone's money maybe they they collect a collective amount of 100 million ringgit so the return from that investment which is like maybe 4 to 5% per annum will then be given to the beneficiaries which are communities in need so if there are hospitals who are in need of buying um beds or ventilators or if there are flood victims who want to use the money you can do so using the return from this investment so i think these are some of the um, capital market initiatives like securities commission malaysia are pushing for more wakaf fund framework uh, they, they they have a wakaf featured fund framework in malaysia to push for social uh, or financial inclusion or social inclusivity um using islamic social finance instruments mm. yep i see i i think i can see why malaysia can you know be one of the leading islamic uh finance com- country in the world i think we are putting in a lot of effort into it which is i think is a good direction that we're heading to um yeah so sadly we're coming to the end of our you know podcast so and you know, going through only these specific few areas of sustainability, we can already realize how in-depth and intricate each of these industry and fields are individually facing. And practicing sustainability is definitely not merely, you know, just talking or policy writing or just a stroll in the park, right? Like uh, Mr. Hafiz, you mentioned that it's a collaborative effort. I think we repeat this over and over again uh, in every industry. It's just everyone has to come together and do this. So, um, before I let you go, you know, uh, I think you need to answer our signature question. What role do you think conversation plays in this whole ESG initiative? I think um, any other advocacy program, right, the keyword is advocacy and awareness building. What you guys are doing, you know, um, you're, you're coming from, uh, you know, Malaysian Economy Undergraduate Association, there's other different communities and groups out there also that I've also spoken to. Uh, these are, you know, the more voices are uh, talking about a collective goal, which is like sustainability or anything, like creating a better planet, the better it is. So let's say um, if, I'm, if I'm talking about this alone, right, and if I'm doing it also alone, this is very good, but there's only one person doing it. So, and in order to get you and get more people uh, to do it is obviously the domino effect. Lah. Even if you share this podcast or conversation to anyone else, um, you never know the impact that it can do. And you never know that really like someone maybe walking down the street or um, they, they have been thinking like, okay, in my role, I'm, I'm interested to know about sustainability and to really take some action. But how do I start? And then they, they listen to the conversations that you've recorded. I think that is a very powerful tool uh, 
which is to, to, to create the wave of change through advocacy and awareness. But of course, like you said, having conversation is not enough. It has to be translated into action. Um, that is also another advocacy tool. So I think conversation and action, which is like uh, really doing the thing, right? You say you say you want to to because that that's also another problem in in our private sector, lah. A lot of people talking about ESG, talking about sustainability, but that have never actually done it or does not really walk the talk. So that is also something that you have to be. We all have to be very mindful of, lah, because. Um, yeah, there, there's so much, you know, the global rise of temperature. There's so much changing changes happening. So I don't think we um, advocacy is 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 the first step to start it, but definitely the the you know walking the talk um, and taking action is another useful tool to to follow up lah. Like I think I think if you listen to like Greta Thunberg or Greta Thunberg's speeches, right? Yeah. She she actually emphasized that I I'm I don't want to be here speaking to all of you. I don't want to take your time and no, neither do I want to take my time. But what I have to be here to speak because I can't be doing this alone. Uh and and she's been she's more interested in taking action rather than talking. I think she made it very clear in most of her speech speeches yeah. So yeah, I think I think the the two things has, has to go hand in hand and and raising awareness about you know the the uh, environmental degradation and and you know how our planets are like suffering it is quite uh, important like, especially during this time of pandemic mm. yes yeah right so, i hope that answers the question <laughs> it definitely did on behalf of AMEU thank you so much mr hafiz for this informative session thank today. you very much yes yeah. and that's it for today's episode thank you for tuning in and we hope you have learned something new if you're interested to find out more about AMEU do follow us on our facebook instagram linkedin under AMEU network for the latest updates and our initiatives for now stay safe and have a good one bye guys if you're interested to uncover more aspects and issues on ESG, why not join our upcoming AMEU Summit 2021? It will be held on the 28th of August, Saturday. We have an amazing lineup of speakers, including Professor Dr. Jomo, YB Dato Ong Kian Ling, and many more. Sign up now and even stand a chance to also walk away with an iPad and other prizes. All sign up details are on our socials. See you there!